Hey friends, happy Tuesday morning to you of Christmas week, December 22nd, 8 a.m. I'm Eric Sorensen, of course, pastor here at Hillside Church, contributor to 1517, husband of Missy, Jude, John, and Lincoln, and excited for Christmas. Yes, indeed, I am excited for Christmas because we're just a couple days away. And so today I'm going to be looking at a Christmas passage, certainly a prophecy having to do with Christmas. But first, before we get to any of that, I want to tell you a brief story about me and my family in 2006. 2006, Missy, myself, and at that time, our two boys, Jude and John, were living in Fergus Falls, Minnesota. I was attending seminary there, and I was basically taking the equivalent of a full load of classes. Uh, on top of that, I, to make ends meet, had three part-time sort of jobs. I was working putting uh, Coke on shelves at various stores. I was running a small vending business and I was working part-time as a home health aide. And my wife was working part-time as a nurse at a local uh, senior care uh, facility, assisted living place. And we were, of course, trying to also raise two very little boys. My son Jude was a toddler at that point and John was probably, oh, six months old, maybe not even that old. I mean, he was he was little. And um, it was obviously stressful with that kind of load. I mean, we were really carrying a lot and were frequently overwhelmed trying to balance everything out. But there was one night, one night where everything came to a head for us and we were completely and utterly overwhelmed by what was before us. What happened is, well, it started with Jude walking up to me wanting to cuddle real close to me. I mean, it, was, it wasn't that he didn't, wasn't like that, but this was different. He was really affectionate. And then after laying on me for a brief moment and snuggling right up, he turned to me and threw up all over me. Then he did it again. And then he did it on the carpet. And then, what do you know, our little guy, our baby Jonathan started throwing up. And yes, you guessed it, by the middle of the night, both Missy and I were throwing up. The whole house, you can only imagine, was an utter disaster. And there was a very clear moment when we were going through that at which we thought, we are incapable, incapable of handling this anymore. Something had to change. And I know that 2020, as we're coming to the end of it this year, has felt overwhelming for many. And I know that some of you watching this right now have felt in a similar way than that me and Missy did when you know I was in seminary in 2006, just absolutely frustrated and flustered and unsure what to do to fix it. Well, you're not alone. This is the pattern of human history. And that is the case with a man that we're gonna meet today known as King Ahaz. Of course, we are here to look at our law and gospel devotional. And so we'll go ahead and start that now as we look at a passage from Isaiah chapter 7, uh, verses 10 through 14. It goes like this. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol, the, the place of the dead, the grave, uh, sometimes even seen as hell or Hades, or high as heaven, so as far as you can imagine. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, and the he speaking here is Isaiah. 
Is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. End of reading. Again, no doubt you've probably heard this passage before. And if you're anything like me, you've probably wondered at some point in time, what are the first three verses about there? Yeah, I get the last verse about a prediction of a virgin being with child. I see how that fits into Jesus, but, but why the other stuff? What's going on here? Well, that might be best summed up with the phrase, clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right, here I am stuck in the middle. Of course, that's the lyrics to a famous song from the 70s. But here's what I mean by that, okay? First of all, Ahaz is king of Judah at a very difficult time in Judah's history. To the southeast were his enemies, the Edomites, who were familiar characters throughout the Old Testament. They are the descendants of Esau and were a perpetual thorn in the people of God's side. To the southwest were his enemies, the Philistines, also perpetual thorn in the side of the people of God. But to the north of him, this is new, his once allies, the northern kingdom of Israel, his very own blood relatives, um, have teamed up with Syria against the people of Judah, where he is king. And their plan is to basically force King Ahaz of Judah into an alliance with the dreadful Assyrian Empire. Now, he was rightly certain that Assyria was too strong for them to fend off. For anybody to fend off, Assyria was basically the precursor to the Babylonian Empire that would be so dreaded not so long afterwards. And so this is the pressure that Ahaz is going through, and there seems to be no good answers. I, I would imagine he's got the look of the anchor man on his face as he contemplates what's to, what to do as a, as a king, to try and be a good king. And so we, we sort of are brought to this place when we're overwhelmed, like Ahaz was, where we're forced to sort of look at what our natural instincts would tell us, our natural options. And of course, the natural options always are instinctively from our hearts, guided by thinking, uh, guided by the law. It's guided by thinking that is dictated by what we need to do. Now, of course, the first option we do have is is actually that we don't do anything, but we give up in a way that is, that is unhealthy. We give up, well, basically like the boys in Monty Python did when they say, run away, run away. Sorry for the grainy graphic that's about as good as you can get from a movie from the 70s. Um, surely Ahaz was tempted, as are we, to give up from time to time. That is, in fact, what Ephraim and Syria wanted him to do. Um, Isaiah 7.1, if you go back in the context, says these words, the king of Israel came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. Nevertheless, listen to what verse 2 says, as Judah recognizes the strength of Israel. When the house of David, aka Judah, was told Syria is in league with Ephraim, that's the northern kingdom of Israel, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. Some cartoon-like imagery for you here as we think about how terrified they were at the strength of the northern kingdom when partnered up with Syria. Now, from a spiritual perspective, of course, there's a sense in which giving up is good. 
in this sense, meaning it causes us to give up on our own righteousness to stand before God. That's a good thing. We want to give up on our own righteousness and depend on the righteousness of God in order to stand before him. But the temptation here is really the opposite of that. The temptation here is give up on God. Give up on life. Place your fate in someone else's hands, Ahaz. Very understandable possibility in Ahaz's mind. You get why it would be tempting for him to say, okay, I'll just depend on you to fight my battles. But no, that is not the word that Isaiah the prophet has for Ahaz. In fact, the scriptures, the law is abundantly clear that we are to endure, that we are to run the race, that we are to not shrink back, that there's a sense in which, you know, we're to be like Rocky, that just doesn't give up when we're in the ring and we fight and we fight and we fight, which leads to the next option, which is indeed fight, fight, fight. It would make sense for God's word to be stand up and fight Ahaz. Don't give in. And sometimes that is quite literally God's word for his people in the Old Testament. Be strong, fight. Gideon, don't be afraid, fight. Of course, in the New Testament, we are also called to fight in a different way with weapons of spiritual warfare, especially you can find that in Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20. And the hope is, is that through this fighting back that, well, again, we'd be like Rocky, punching out Ivan Drago in Rocky IV. But of course, that's not the word God has for Ahaz either in this passage. It is not fight, fight, fight. Well, then, I guess the other possible natural option is to find a compromise. You can't just run away from the battle. You can't fight the battle. That's not what God's calling you to do. Well, what is he calling us to do? Find the middle ground. Find the middle ground. Oh, how tempting it would be to do that. And yet, God will go on to warn Ahaz that if he does this, it will be the death of him and his reign. Nevertheless, we understand the appeal of trying to find the middle ground like he does. It makes sense. Sadly, that is what Ahaz ends up doing. 2 Kings chapter 16 tells us he'll end up partnering with the Assyrians and it leads to his destruction. So what is God's word to Ahaz and to us in this? Well, it is not more words about what we need to do. It's not telling us that we need to just run away and it's not telling us to fight, nor is it telling us to compromise, which really all are words of law because the emphasis is in the final analysis on what we do, on our ability to make the right call, to make the right decision. That is not what we read here in this passage. Instead, instead it is, well, God's answer when we're overwhelmed is, is an invitation. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. Now, God's word to us when we're overwhelmed by our struggles and by our sins and by our shortcomings and our weaknesses is an invitation. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. That is Jesus speaking 
quoted in Matthew eleven twenty eight. His apostle Peter says, cast all your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. Yes, the reason we do is because he actually cares about you. And I don't just say you abstractly out there. I say you as in literally you and me. Sadly, Ahaz does not take God's uh, advice. He doesn't take him up on the invitation. We read in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 12, but Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. Now, there is a sense in which we ought to be hesitant to ask God for a sign or to, to test God. We're told that in other parts of Scripture. But there is exceptions to this rule. And that is especially when God himself, speaking through his mouthpiece, says, test me. Ask me a sign. Ask me for anything. And I'll grant it. Ask me. It's okay. You can do it. But Ahaz's refusal to do this does not seem to me to be a sign of his humility. Oh, no, no. Far be it from me to test God. Far be it from me to ask God for a sign. No, I don't think that's what's going on here because of what we'll see happen later. I think this is Ahaz saying what my children have said oh so many times and what I have continually found myself saying as an adult day in and day after day, I can do it myself. I'll figure this out. I know what I'm doing. I got it, God. Leave me alone. Boy, folks, that is always the great downfall each and every day when we decide to go out there and on our own strength, when we decide to earn our own righteousness, it always leads to tragedy. It always leads to hardship. And yet here's the beautiful thing about this passage that I love, love, love to death. Now that you've got all this context, in spite of mankind's great pride that says, I can do it myself. God delivers the promise of Christmas. It's in the context of him actually being rejected. As he invites Ahaz to come to him, he is rejected. And yet that does not thwart God from saying, all right, I'm going to deliver it in spite of you anyway. Christmas comes as a promise from God, not because of us. It is in spite of us. It is in spite of our pride, in spite of our refusal to allow him to work, God becomes one of us. Verse 13, and he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Yes, the good news for us is that even though we fail to come to him like Ahaz did, he never fails to come to us. He is God with us and he will be God with us. Christmas is not just something we celebrate that happened once upon a time some 2000 years ago. Christmas is something that we celebrate day in and day out because he still remains. God with us.
Oh, how powerful that is to know that we don't walk this life alone. That it's not up to us to fix everything. That when we're overwhelmed, we have one who can take our burdens. I'll never forget one of my first lessons in pastoral ministry was, well, it's 13 and a half years ago now. It was my first few weeks in the office. I was being trained by a mentor pastor and I got, we got our first call, at least when I was, while I was there, to go visit somebody who was dying. Her name was Charlene and she was a dear old saint. She had all sorts of uh, terrible problems with her stomach and it was clear that her time was, was coming to an end. I was terrified and nervous and scared, uh, especially as a young preacher, you're just, you don't know what to say and you feel like you have to have the right words. And so my tack was, I was gonna depend on my mentor pastor the entire time I was there, just watch him. And boy, I'm so glad I did. We walked into that room, her family was surrounding her. She was still alive. She could barely communicate just in whispered tones. And I remember my pastor just watching him grab a chair and get right next to her ear, reach out, grab her hand and whisper to her, Charlene, I'm here with you. It's pastor. I'm here with you. It was such a powerful moment. It was so impactful to see what it did to her to know, to have that touch and to have that feel, to have that presence that she is not alone that she was going to have one whispering to her the very words of forgiveness that God won for us in the coming and in the work of Jesus Christ. God comes to us even when we fail to come to him. So yes, when the world is overwhelming, we don't look to ourselves, we don't look to our resources, we don't look to our great ability to escape the circumstances or our own strength, Folks, we look to our promised Emmanuel who lived, died, rose again, and ascended to the throne of God for our justification. That is God's word of law and gospel for us this week. I pray that you have a blessed, wonderful Christmas and that God richly blesses your family as we head into the new year. Thanks for watching. God bless.